Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12, we're going to be uh, this morning looking at verses 38 to 44. Looking at verses 38 to 34, but I'm going to begin from verse 35, just for the sake of context. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can worship you. Worship you through song, through confessing our sins, through the hearing of your scriptures read, through the prayers that are made and through the preaching of your word. And we do ask now that by your spirit, we would worship you as we listen, as we seek to understand your word, and that by your spirit, you would enlighten our minds and convict our hearts, strengthen our hearts, encourage our hearts, edify us by the power of your spirit, so that we, Lord, would have a desire to fully worship and adore you with our whole being. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, if you're, um, if you're a faithful reader of the scriptures, then you'll know that God thinks, sees, and operates differently than humanity does. He views the reality of things and the way this world operates from a completely different standpoint. We know that the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We know God's ways are not our ways, as he says in Isaiah 55, 8-9, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are, abo- are higher than the earth, so, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What God sees and what God values is often the complete reversal of what we see and value. 
The ways of God are often upside down, or you, you could say right side up. There are things God says or values that are completely the opposite of what our world values or believes. For example, Jesus says, the first shall be last and the last first. But our world doesn't believe that. Our world believes the first shall be first and the last shall be last. That's how our world operates. Or Jesus tells us that the meek shall inherit the earth. The humble are the ones who inherit the earth. Our world doesn't believe that. It's the strong and the powerful, those who are willing to use force, those who are willing even to be corrupt in order to inherit the earth. But God's ways are not our ways, and what God sees is not what, God, is not what we see. What God's values is not what we often value. And I think the passage that we're looking at this morning demonstrates this point so clearly, that what God values is very different from what we often value. You see, here at the end of Mark 12, Jesus is still in the temple. He's still teaching. In fact, what we see here in verses 38 to 40 is a continuing of his teaching from verses 35 to 37. So he's still in the temple teaching the people. And I think what Mark does here is bring to a close the section of Jesus' continual encounters with the religious leaders by giving a warning about them and contrasting them to the poor widow that we see in this story. Remember, chapters 11 and 12 has conveyed these encounters between Jesus and the scribes, and Jesus throughout has demonstrated their ignorance and their intentions against him. And now in verse 38 to 40, he gives a warning to the people about them, which ends off this section with Jesus' confrontation with the scribes. Now, here in verses 38 to 40, you are actually getting a summary of Jesus' longer warning about the scribes and the Pharisees in Matthew 23, the seven woes to the scribes and the Pharisees. So what is it that Jesus warns the people about? We'll look at verse 38. And in his teaching, he said, beware of the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Watch out for the scribes. And then he gives an explanation of why you ought to watch out, why you ought to beware. Verse 38, who like to walk, that is the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at our feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. See, there are three things that Jesus conveys about the scribes. The first is that they are lovers of applause. They're consumed with the praise of self. You see that in verse 38 and 39. They, they like to walk around in, in long robes in, in order to stand out and, and draw attention to themselves, to demonstrate that they are distinct. They like greetings in the marketplace. It, it was common for, for people to highly revere the scribes that if a scribe were walking down the street, the people would get up just because the scribe was walking by. They were given the best seats in the synagogues and 
places, places of honor at feasts. You see, it's easy to think that Jesus is saying that there's something wrong with religious garb or, or having the best seat or having the place of honor. But that's actually not what Jesus is saying. Remember, in the Old Testament, God's prescribed religious garb for the priests and the Levites. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. In fact, I actually think it can be helpful. Jesus isn't condemning religious garb or he isn't condemning uh, being honored, certain people being honored. That's not what he's condemning. That's not the issue that Jesus is addressing here. What is it that he takes issue with then precisely? Here it is. They love and live for those things. Look at the language. They like to walk around in garb. They, they like greetings. They love the best seats in the synagogues. They, they love to have the place of honor at a feast. They love it and they live for it. They are lovers of applause consumed with self. See, rather than giving adoration to God, they crave adoration for themselves. They are, as Paul puts it in 2 Timothy 3.2, lovers of self. And not only are they lovers of applause, but they also take advantage of the vulnerable. As verse 40 says, they devour widows' houses. They use their religious authority and influence to prey upon the vulnerable. They prey upon the vulnerable and take advantage of the vulnerable, yet they present themselves as pious. As verse 40 says, and for a pretense, make long prayers. They seek to demonstrate a, a level of devotion to God that isn't actually true of them. But here's what we need to see. These kinds of individuals didn't exist only in Jesus' day. They exist in our day as well. Some of us might be them. Men and women of religious hypocrisy. People who use the name of God for selfish gain and use their religious authority to prey on vulnerable people. They exist in every denomination, every association, every fellowship. Let me just give you one example, the most obvious, of course, is prosperity preachers. They use the name of God to take advantage of vulnerable people. They use the name of God to receive praise for themselves. But don't think for a moment that this doesn't happen in the good, reformed, orthodox circles that we find ourselves in. It just takes on a different form. It's the, it's the guy who's the best expository preacher. The guy who's the most theologically sharp, he's the one who receives all the honor and the praise, and we as men and women fall prey to it. Let's not also pretend that it's only the religious that participate in these kinds of evils. Lovers of self, taking advantage of the vulnerable, hypocrisy. These evils are not committed simply by the professing religious the non-religious secular person has his own form of religiosity and craving for human praise. How many celebrities delight in telling the world all the money they've given to different charities while behind closed doors they take advantage of the vulnerable. 
These sins mark all of humanity. But the reason Jesus goes after the scribes is because they do it in the name of God. And that's the horror of it. And that's why Jesus says at the end of verse 40, they will receive the greater condemnation. These are terrifying words. These scribes, these religious hypocrites will receive the greater condemnation. Why? Because they use the name of God as a cover-up for wickedness and therefore commit a greater evil. They use the name of the Lord in vain. Listen to Matthew Henry. Iniquity, thus disguised with a show of piety, is double iniquity. So, it doom, so its doom will be double heavy. These shall receive greater damnation. Now remember, the main exhortation from Jesus is that people would beware of people like this. And I think there's two ways to think about that. One, beware of these kind of people. They will mislead you and take advantage of you. But I also think it's beware in that you could become like this. We're all capable of it, we're all capable in falling prey to this self-intoxicated behavior, especially those of us who have any influence or authority. How many pastors who started off with right intentions, but over time became enraptured by their own fanfare? See, it's terrifying to know that my heart is capable of such things. And that if I'm not careful, if I don't put the proper guards up, I too can do such things. Beware. But I want to say one last thing about this. I have encountered many people, probably you as well, who, who grew up in the church in some capacity. And they may have experienced the hypocrisy of a pastor or of their church, and, and because of this, they, they no longer identify as a Christian, or, or really, they don't, they're not a follower of Jesus, because the church is, is full of hypocrisy. And I'm always amazed when I talk to individuals like this, how they come across as though they're the only ones who have discovered the hypocrisy of the church, and that they need to enlighten me about it. As though I'm not aware of the hypocrisy of the church or pastors or even the, the hypocrisy in my own life. See, I just want you to know that Jesus already told us that there would be hypocrisy. It's not revelatory. He tells us to beware of it. But I want you to notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say because there's hypocrisy in the church and there are hypocritical pastors that you're now justified in no longer living for Jesus. Because that's really what's going on when I talk to individuals who draw such attention to the hypocrisy of the church. They're often trying to justify the fact that they're no longer going to church and no longer living for Jesus because of all of the hypocrisy. But listen... When you stand before Jesus Christ and he asks you, why didn't you follow and live for me? And you respond with, the church was hypocritical or, or that pastor was a fraud. Do you know how Jesus is going to respond? 
He's going to say, what does that have to do with you following me? Did your faith reside in the church or in that pastor? Or did your faith reside in me? Or if you knew there was hypocrisy, why then then, then didn't you live a genuine Christian life and help people see that there is such a thing as genuine faith? Why do you think the hypocrisy of others justifies you not following me? Was your faith so shallow that hypocrisy in others caused you to doubt who I was? Listen. Don't ever use the hypocrisy of professing Christians as an excuse for why you don't follow Jesus. It won't work when you stand before him. And here's the thing we also need to see. Something that's inauthentic or counterfeit, it assumes that there's something authentic and genuine. You can't have counterfeit money if you don't have real money. You can't have false pastors if there aren't real pastors. You can't have counterfeit churches if you don't have real churches. You can't have counterfeit worship if you don't have genuine worship. Something that is counterfeit proves or presupposes that there is the real thing. You see, the the scribes displayed a counterfeit, hypocritical piety. But the widow, the poor widow we encounter in verse 41 to 44, is the real thing. Through her actions, she demonstrates genuine, authentic faith. She cares for one thing, the honor and praise of God. See, I think what Mark's doing is he's contrasting the scribes who devour widows' houses to a poor widow who, in Jesus' eyes, reveals genuine worship and devotion to God. The ones they take advantage of, Jesus sees and views as a genuine worshiper before God. He's contrasting the sham, the hypocrisy of their piety with this unnamed poor widow and her sincere devotion to God. We're told in verse 41 to 42 what Jesus observed. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins which make a penny. Many rich people were putting in large sums of money. And it's important that that you don't think that Jesus is somehow condemning them based upon what he says. I don't think that's what's going on. It's possible that some of this might have become a a means of of demonstrating one's devotion to God. It was was all about image. but, But most likely, Jesus is just simply observing the fact that there were people coming into the temple and giving large sums of money. The wealthy were giving large sums of money into the offering box. But in the midst of all these wealthy individuals giving large sums of money, a poor, unnamed widow came and put two small copper coins, which makes a penny. A penny in our day, it's even less than that. And Jesus observes this. 
And he sees this as an opportunity to teach his disciples a very valuable lesson. Verse 43, And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. Now I want you to understand what Jesus is claiming. He's saying that all the rich individuals who gave large sums of money, he's saying that the poor widow gave more than all of them combined. All of them combined. And then in verse 44, he gives his reasoning for why this is so. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. What is it that Jesus is seeking to convey to his disciples and to us? We're so prone in our fallen human thinking to see worth based upon the size of contribution or what can be accomplished by such a contribution. We naturally think that the wealthy who gave from their wealth made a more significant contribution because financially it was more. And therefore, so much more can be accomplished, especially for the kingdom of God. But what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples was that that woman's gift represented her total commitment and devotion to God because she gave all that she had. In giving all that she had, she was giving of herself fully to God. See, here's the point. Jesus isn't concerned about the sum of the money. He's concerned about the depth and fullness of one's devotion and commitment to him. Listen to this beautiful quote by Christotson that captures this truth so well. When the widow put into the collection box only two small coins, the master did not give her a recompense worthy worth only two coins. Why was that? Because he paid no attention to the amount of the money. What he did heed was the wealth of her soul. If you calculate by the value of her money, her poverty is great. If you bring her intention into the light, you will see that her store of generosity defies description. You see, this poor widow, through her act of giving all that she had, revealed her heartfelt devotion and commitment to God. And it also revealed her trust in God because she had just given to God everything she had. She was basically saying, "The Lord, my life is in your hands. See, this widow is the exact opposite of the scribes that Jesus warned about. They externally attempted to demonstrate commitment to God, but if you examined their hearts, you wouldn't have seen an ounce of love or devotion to God. And I think a good question to ask ourselves is, do the scribes or the widow better describe us? For those of us who are wealthier than others, 
God has given you abundance, and therefore he expects you to give in abundance. As Matthew Henry states, if God gives abundantly to us, he expects us to give abundantly. If you make a lot of money and you give of your wealth to the Lord, but it doesn't cost you anything, like it hasn't made you have to actually sacrifice anything, is it possible that might reveal the depth of your devotion and commitment to Jesus? Also, some of us are wealthier than others, and we need to hear this. Don't assume that because you financially give more to the Lord than others, that it's actually more in the eyes of the Lord. Because it's not the amount that matters, but the depth of devotion and love. Some of us here are poorer than others. Some of us here don't make a lot of money. And don't assume that because you give less than others, that it's less in the eyes of God. God doesn't see as man sees. He looks upon the heart. More or less is not determined by the amount of cash, but the depth of one's commitment to God. You may give the least financially in our entire church, and yet you may give more than all of us combined. You see, here's the thing. As Christians, our giving ought to reflect, really, not just our giving, our lives ought to reflect the true nature of the gospel. What's the nature of the gospel? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. As Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 8, 8 to 9, which Beverly read for us, he says this, I say this not as a command. That is, he's talking about these Corinthian believers who gave sacrificially, even out of beyond their own means. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love is also genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Sacrifice. Christ gave up himself by becoming poor, so that we who were poor might become spiritually rich. You see, does your commitment to the Lord reveal or demonstrate sacrifice, or does it simply reveal convenience? Listen, I think one of the great problems of our day is this constant desire to accomplish something great. This constant longing to be someone and to be recognized that if you haven't done some grand thing, you haven't lived a purposeful life. But hear me on this. And this goes beyond mere financial giving. Small acts of goodness done with great love, are far superior to great acts done with little love. God's not ultimately concerned about whether you've accomplished some great thing in the eyes of the world or whether you did small little things that helped others. What he's ultimately concerned about is whether or not you did those things in full-hearted devotion 
and love for him. You see, if more of us were like this widow, more attention would be drawn to the greatness and goodness of God. May we be a people fully devoted and committed to the Lord Jesus who became poor that we might become rich. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for this beautiful example of devotion in this unnamed poor widow. We thank you, Lord, that there are individuals like her who love you and are fully devoted to you. And we pray that by your spirit, you would give us that same sincerity, that same full devotion and commitment to you. And Lord, we pray that if there's anyone here this morning who has not yet truly trusted in Christ, that by your spirit, you would cause them to have this kind of devotion and commitment to Christ like this widow has. That they would realize that Jesus is worthy of such adoration and devotion. We pray this in Christ's precious name. Amen.